episode, we open our Bibles to 2 Samuel 16. Betrayal, curses, and a scandal are on the agenda for today as David flees from his rebellious son Absalom. He faces enemies and encounters allies along the way. Ziba, a servant of Mephibosheth, sorry, brings him supplies and lies about his master's loyalty. Shemai, a relative of Saul, hurls insults and stones at the fleeing king. David must decide how to respond. And meanwhile, Absalom arrives in Jerusalem and follows some wicked advice of Ahitophel. How will David respond? Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Monday, July 3rd, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is made possible in part by a generous gift from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF translates, publishes, and distributes Lutheran books and materials that are Bible-based and Christ-centered and Reformation-driven. Whether it's a catechism, a hymnal, a Bible storybook, or a devotional, LHF provides these resources free of charge to pastors, missionaries, and lay people who need them. To learn more about LHF and how you can partner with them in this vital mission work, visit their website at lhfmissions.org. That's lhfmissions.org. Well, please join me in welcoming my guest this morning to help us explore 2 Samuel 16. It's the Reverend George Murdoch. He's a pastor emeritus, but currently helping out at First Lutheran Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Pastor Murdoch, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. It's been a little while. Yes, it has, but uh, thank you very much for inviting me. Well, good, good. Well, uh, if, if, if you wouldn't mind, maybe take just a few moments and share with the people uh, how you've been serving the Lord. I, I know you're a pastor emeritus, but that doesn't mean that you're just loafing around, right? You, you're probably busier now than you almost ever have been. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I continue to uh, be very active in the ministry. Actually, I assist with other, uh, a couple of other pastors at uh, First Lutheran Church in Birmingham. Uh, I, I'm also uh, uh, engaging um, the broader community or hoping to engage the broader community in the coming months uh, for Hispanic ministry as well. We have a tremendous influx of, of Hispanic uh, immigrants, as you know, uh, to various cities in the U.S., and so we're going to do something there. Uh, I'm also a, a synodical reconciler, and uh, I stay busy with that ministry as well. And um, uh, I uh, also am the... Sunday school um, uh, teacher, uh, adult Sunday school teacher and leader for First Lutheran Church as well, as well as helping out at other congregations that are in need in this circuit. Yeah. Oh, what what a blessing to have guys like you out there. I know that up here in the southwest <laughs> corner of Minnesota, we don't, we don't mm -hmm. have as many guys at our disposal for doing such mm -hmm. great work, so I'm glad that you're down there. Well, um, I'll tell you what, let's start our time together in prayer, and if you would, brother, please lead us in that prayer. I will. Gracious God, our Father, we are ever grateful for your sure word uh, that you give us both in the Old and the New Testament. For the Bible is one story. It's the story of your son, Jesus Christ, who said to his disciples, for the Moses and the prophets and the Psalms are about me. And so we find our Lord uh, in his ancestry, his, his um, people that he, from whom he comes, the people of Israel, uh, in different circumstances in their lives, in different circum historical circumstances. And uh, we get that in the, these uh, historical books like Second uh, Samuel, um, although considered uh, prophetic books by the Jewish people, 
Uh, and so, Lord, we know that in these, we, we are also instructed. We are also led and guided by your spirit. Uh, not only that we may uh, learn from the experiences uh, of your uh, faithful people of old, but also that we might uh, be able to speak uh, with some assurance uh, of our own salvation through Christ, who has fulfilled all that for which you have promised in the past. Continue to be with us in this study. Open our hearts to learn what you would have us be taught this day in this word, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, brother. Well, before we get right into chapter 16, um, maybe it'd be a good idea just to catch folks up if they have not uh, maybe been listening or maybe they just missed the last episode. They haven't had a chance to check that out on the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, maybe catch people up. Tell us where, why David is not sitting in the castle or the, you know, the, the house in Jerusalem. Why is he not at the palace? What's he mm -hmm. doing? Right. Well, what has happened is uh, uh, the, the long story, which I'll, I'll try to truncate. Um, Absalom's sister, Tamar, was abused by his older brother, who was the heir to the throne, actually. Uh, Amnon, by primogenitor, he was uh, heir. Uh, and uh, so uh, Absalom uh, conspires to have him killed. Uh, David does, does not really handle that all that well, so he uh, banishes uh, Absalom, and so Absalom's away. He finally uh, brings Absalom back to the city. Uh, but before that, uh, I mean, after that, Absalom goes to to Hebron, gathers people around him, convinces him that that you know his old father David needs to go, and that he would really be the better king. And so he gathers these people up, and then uh, David get wind of that, of course. And so the people are claiming, you know, Absalom's king in, in Hebron. And so they're uh, moving that, which is down in the Negev. And so now he's, he's headed for Jerusalem. David is advised to get out of town. Okay, so he does. He, he begins to move. And that 15 is about him doing that and gathering up the folks and, and getting out of town. And those that are going with him and trying to assist him and help him. Okay. Um, and so the chapter 16 picks up with Absalom uh, entering into Jerusalem. Well, it, it really has the David's uh, dealing with some of his friends, some of those who are supporting him, and then those who are opposing him. <laughs> and then um, it ends with Absalom coming into the city. And uh, just to have a list of the characters, if, if you're not caught up on, on Samuel, uh, there's a list of characters here that may sound strange or maybe you've not heard of them before or we don't know what their background is. First of all, there's David. The thing you have to know about David is David had six sons when he was in Hebron. So he started out in Hebron. That's why Absalom had gone to Hebron to declare himself king. That's where David had started. And so he had six sons there by six different wives. Uh, and Amnon was the firstborn. And then uh, and Absalom was thirdborn. And then by Bathsheba, he had five sons. The first one died at seven days old, but uh, the other four sons. And then before his death, uh, he would have 10 more sons by different wives. So David has a large, very large royal, if you will, family. Then we run into a guy named Ziba. And Ziba was the servant of Saul's household and uh, kind of inherited the uh, Myra Domo uh, kind of position in that. And so um, he was then in charge of Mephibosheth, the son of Saul's uh, inheritance and estate. 
And so uh, David would bring Mephibosheth to the palace where he was and then have, have Ziba uh, take care of his inheritance for him. Uh, that's who he is. And then Mephibosheth himself was the son of uh, uh, Jonathan, who is the grandson of Saul, and he crippled in his feet since childhood. And he wanted to flee with David, but uh, was, was unable to. Uh, and we find out in chapter 19 what really happened and why, why he couldn't do that. Shammai, is the son of, son of Gera, is, is loyal, fanatically loyal to the house of Saul. And so he comes out to curse uh, uh, the king, which is a pretty bad thing. Um, Abishai, who is the brother of Joab, Joab is the head of the armies of Israel. And Abishai, in context, is his brother. And in context here, he seems to be most likely the commander of the king's guard. So um, he's, he's very solicitous for David and his security. We have the Benjamin, we, it mentions the tribe of the Benjaminites. And the Benjaminites uh, are the ones who had the first king, King Saul. He comes from that. And the Benjaminite history in the Bible is, is important, I think. Uh, they're, they're, uh, the youngest son of, of um, Jacob was, was Benjamin. And, but also uh, the Benjaminites uh, really get into super great trouble with, with the other tribes of Israel in the book of Judges. And they're basically decimated, and uh, and so, but they've been kind of that kind of a of a, of a you know the lesser uh, tribe that really try trying to make a name for itself. So, uh, and then you have Absalom, the son of David. Interesting about him is he is the only son of David mentioned in in the Bible, who is actually from royalty on both sides of his family. His father is a king. And his mother was a queen, was the daughter of a king, was a princess of a king. So he's the only one in the, in the family, it seems, that could claim, you know, royalty on both sides of his family. You have uh, Ahithophel, who is considered a, a, a very great advisor to David. In fact, David and the people thought that he had the wisdom of the Lord, that he spoke literally from the Lord. And then you have Hushai, who is uh, particularly uh, loyal to David, a very wise advisor to David. David really respected his uh, advice. And he wanted to come with David as David fled. He was all ready to go with him. And David said, look, the best thing for you to do is go back and, and really keep an eye on what's going on uh, with, with Absalom and Ahithophel so that we know what's going on in the palace. And then he, he also sent back uh, Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. So he said, look, you go back and keep an eye on things and frustrate the, the advice of a, 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 um, a Hathafel. So that's, those are the characters. Well, that's certainly a good summary of the characters. And uh, it's going to be important for us to know as we go through, because like you said, there's a lot of guys we never really heard about or, or think mm -hmm. about. And it's also hard to keep them all straight. Um, mm -hmm. As we get into 16, verse 1 through, oh, I'll read about through verse 4. Uh, this is just as David has left Jerusalem. Um, as you said, his friend Hushai has come into the city of Jerusalem, um, and now we begin there. When David had passed a little beyond the summit, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of donkeys saddled, bearing 200 loaves of bread, a 100 bunches of raisins, and a hundred of summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, Why have you brought these? And Ziba answered, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on. The bread and the summer fruit are for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, 
And where is your master's son? Ziba said to the king, Behold, he remains in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. And then the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord the king. Okay, so he, he meets up with Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth. All these Hebrew names, you know, you get tricked up every now and then, but I'm mm-hmm. doing better. Um, meets him with a couple of donkeys. He gives him an homage. I guess he's showing his loyalty. Yes, I mean, he is. Uh, he, what he, uh, Of course, it is customary. Um, it would have been most customary, even if he were just coming to Jerusalem for a visit to bring some gifts to the king. But in this particular instance, he brings those that are going to be most needed for his uh, his uh, uh, journey outside of Jerusalem to wherever he will eventually uh, bivouac. So he wants him to have those, and he and he is trying. Of course, this is Ziba's intent is to impress David with his loyalty. Now Ziba uh, obviously was a longtime servant of Saul, and obviously of his household. So this, this is a way for him to show his, his absolute loyalty to God's anointed king, uh, David, and, and to show that. But we find later that basically, uh, we find in, in chapter 19, you'll find that uh, all of this was just a show so that he could edge out uh, Mephibosheth in order to get his inheritance. He's after Mephibosheth's inheritance. And uh, we'll find that out in chapter 19. Right. So what he's saying here, and we don't know it yet, but is is a lie. It's, he's being deceptive. Right. Right. So, yeah, right. I think that's important. And I think it also shows us a little bit about what David is facing. I mean, he David's not omnipotent. He doesn't know the intentions of everyone. So mm-hmm. even when people are coming up to him and they are being loyal to loyal and showing fidelity, they, well, you know, he, he doesn't know who to trust. He's always having to make those decisions as king. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing, yeah, the other thing here too is it's very, very unlikely. And David, you know, David kind of he he's really not in the right mind, right? At at this point, you got to understand the man is not completely together. I mean, he's he's exhausted. He's uh, uh, he's emotionally exhausted. He's physically exhausted. And so he kind of just makes this statement: "Well, I'll give everything that Mashiva has to you." It is very, very unlikely. As a matter of fact, it's impossible. And David probably should have known this, that Absalom would ever turn the kingdom back over to, to Benjamin. That's never going to happen. And, uh, and, and, but David here is so exhausted, Ziba takes advantage of that. Right. And, and he, it's also would really, really be hard for him to enforce, too. I, I agree mm-hmm. with you. He's fled his capital city because he wants to thwart the conspiracy against him. Of course, mm-hmm. he plans on going back. But yeah, mm-hmm. and this guy comes and he brings food and rations for a, an exhausted mm-hmm. army. I would mm-hmm. say that that's probably more an indication of David's gratefulness than, mm-hmm. than any sort of real, uh, I don't know, policy decision on David's part. Right. That's right. And, you know, it teaches us that, you know, uh, if something sounds too good or uh, if we're exhausted, that's not the time to make you know, really big decisions. This was a pretty big decision to give everything to, to Seba. But, um, uh, and then to, 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 you know, just blank out Mephishet, who he promised to take care of for the sake of Dan, uh, Jonathan. 
So, you know, when you think about it that way, don't make decisions when you're tired. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Eat a little bit, get some, take a nap before you make yeah. any big decisions. That's right. Well, all right. Well, let's keep on going with verse 5. When King David came to Bahurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shemai, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shammai said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. Yahweh has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And Yahweh has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. All right, stopping right there. Uh, Shammai obviously uh, tends to favor the old regime. <laughs> and he, he does. Yeah. He blames David. And I think this is important just at the outset that we get this impression that, you know, everybody was suffering under Saul and waiting for David. And then when David becomes king, everyone's happy and they're just, oh, the Lord's anointed is now in his proper place. But that's not it. That's not it at all. There were still opponents. There were still people who were loyal to Saul. And this is just one of many. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, the uh, uh, in that first verse there, it says he's of the family in the house of Saul. So he, oh, sure. family and house there means he's Benjaminite, and house means he's actually related to Saul. So um, he has a, he has an axe to grind. There's no doubt about that. And uh, uh, but uh, his curses on David, uh, I think, are interesting. In that, first of all, it is it is a um, which we'll find out in the next sec little section here. Um, it is a crime to curse the king; it is against the law to curse the king, and it was a it was a death penalty for doing so. And um, and then the stoning that he's doing here would suggest that um, because uh, of David's character, that's an attack on his character, that uh, he deserves to be stoned to death. Uh, for what he has done. And whether or not he's blaming him for the death of Saul, you know, some people say, well, he's blaming for the death of Saul and Saul's sons. Well, not really. Uh, Saul had, I mean, David had two uh, opportunities if he wanted to assassinate Saul. He could have done so and did not because he would not touch the Lord's anointed. And in fact, when people, when, came, when the uh, uh, armor bearer of Saul came to David and said that, uh, that uh, he dispatched to Saul for, for David's sake. David had him executed because you don't attack the anointed of the Lord. So that was kind of the situation. So, but Shammai here is, and he knows these things, and he's just simply neglecting all of it because he believes that David is responsible for the death of Saul and the, the fall of the house of Saul. I mean, sure, so he, just because yeah. they, we know, you know, mm -hmm. that David wouldn't have done those things and he had great respect mm -hmm. doesn't mean that people aren't going to blame him for them happening. Right. You know, mm -hmm. Ishbosheth, mm -hmm. even Abner, uh, mm -hmm. Saul himself. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, he's a murderer because if it weren't for him, obviously in Shammai's eyes, if it weren't mm -hmm. for him, then Saul would probably still be around. You know, it doesn't mean mm -hmm. it has to be rational. Um, That's right. And you talk about these attacks. This um, Right now it's just verbal, and then, of course, the rocks make it physical. Certainly that's punishable by death, and that gives us, 
I don't know. I think it takes us back to that distinction between David, who respected the Lord's anointed, even though he was being constantly pursued by him. You know, Saul's constantly trying to attack and kill David. And, um, of course, Saul, who doesn't care. And now we have the lineage of Saul and his supporters around him, right? He talks about how he Mm -hmm. has these mighty men on his left and right. The people are there with him. So it's not just one guy yelling these things. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So he, so we see that distinction coming through even today. The the way that Saul reigned, the way that he ruled over the people, uh, continues in his in the people of uh, that follow him today. And, and mm-hmm. so, so they're attacking the king even when David wouldn't have, and David would have every reason to. So I, I think we're also seeing that distinction here. Yeah, that's absolutely clear here. I mean, David has, um, you know, David in his in his life. Uh, really, uh, I would say within cultural context as well as within the, his relation with the Lord, uh, was a man who understood that uh, his anointing by um, by Samuel back there, and in, in, actually it's in First Samuel sixteen, that from that time on he had a special relationship with the Lord. Uh, the Psalms are an indication of this special relationship that that David always felt that he had with the Lord. And uh, because of that, it, I think it, it taught his spirit. It taught his spirit, especially after he became king, although he, you know, he was a sinner like all, all men are sinners, but he uh, really attempted to rule according to what the Lord wanted. And when he made a mistake, like for Nathan came to him and, and accused him of what he did, uh, he immediately threw himself uh, on the mercy of God in the tabernacle, and uh, uh, because he understood that um, his relationship with the Lord was the most important thing in his life, we can get a lot of ambitions in our life, and we can make a lot of mistakes along the way. But eventually, we have to throw ourselves before the throne of God for the sake of Jesus Christ and the blood of Christ and say, that's what we really want. We want to be your child. We want to be forgiven. We want to be loved and, and change us, you know, do what it has to be done. And David had that kind of character. We're going to see this later. Uh, you'll see it later in the latter chapters, 18, 19. Absolutely. And, and, and we continue to see this great distinction. And, and, and that's, yeah. that's the point of David, right? We have David held up as this, this flawed but, but earnest man Man after God's own heart in the sense yeah. that he is following after uh, the Lord's will. He doesn't, yeah, he's not perfect. He's not the Christ. No. He's just pointing no. forward to the Christ. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, let's keep on going, starting with verse 9. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? If he is cursing because Yahweh has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite leave him alone? Let him curse, for Yahweh has told him to. It may be that Yahweh will look on the wrong done to me and that Yahweh will repay me with good for this cursing today. So David and his men went on the road while Shemai went along the hillside opposite him and cursed him as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king 
and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan, and there he refreshed himself. So, uh, yeah, stopping right here at the end of 14. So, yeah, so, yeah, this, 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 uh, um, this guy, Shammai, man, he's, he's chasing after him. It's sort of funny. Um, I, I understand, you know, that the insult from Abishai, son of Zariah, uh, calls him a dead dog, right? So that's offensive. But he's, he's offensive. kind of acting like a dog. He's chasing after him like a dog would chase after a car, you know, barking yeah, out gonna, his bar- exactly. yeah, barking yeah. out his insults and throwing stones mm-hmm. and kicking up dust. Yeah. Um, yeah. But as you said, he, he has some personal skin in the game because he's of the house of Saul and, and the family mm-hmm. of Saul. But yeah, so David responds in this, this beautifully, what we might call today a Christian way. A way that we all have a trouble, I think, uh, attaining. Uh, but he does. He says, "Hey, if the, if God's called him to do this, then so be it. And if God hasn't called him to do it, then then the, the Yahweh will will get vengeance for me. He'll reward me. I'm not worried about it." And the thing about it is, it's well within David's power. Uh, it's well within David's power to simply say, uh, "Do it," you know, and uh, and. The entire, you know, uh, Abishai and the and uh, Abishai, I mean, uh, would would take the uh, guards, whatever guards would be necessary, and he would he would execute justice, which would have been justice in the in the law sense. Uh, but David falls off on the uh, on the on the side of mercy, and it's interesting. I mean, not interesting. I think it's it's actually uh, something that we should take to to heart. David says that everything that's happening to him, he, he feels somehow, I mean, that, that because of his relationship with the Lord, and go back and read the Psalms, that they're, they're a great example of how he feels about these things, and that the Lord is in charge of his life. Yahweh is in charge. Yahweh Elohim is in charge of David's life. He, he anointed him when he was a kid, uh, just, a, just a young boy tending sheep. He saw him through that whole episode with, with Goliath, he has seen him through uh, the support of King Saul in, um, in leading his, he made him commander of his armies, uh, et cetera. So David has always been one who has been loyal to the Lord, not necessarily to King Saul. He was loyal to the Lord. And um, so, you know, a lot of times we think about that anointing that he got back there in 1 Samuel 16. And we say, and, and he just basically after that went back to being what he was, a shepherd. He just went back to being a shepherd. I mean, it wasn't like he, you know, uh, now all of a sudden I'm count, crown prince or got it. He began, he, from that moment on, he always focused on the being the Lord's anointed. And, um, and because of that, he's able at this point to say, look, things happen to me. And things happen to all of us in life. There's always things that happen to us. And for us who have the New Testament, we put it under the sign of Romans uh, 8.28. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And David really believed that. I mean, again, like you say, he's, he's a New Testament character, so to speak, in the, in the Old Testament garb and the prototype of the Messiah. And so... In that, he's acting with mercy. He's acting with peace. That's what he wants. That's what the Lord wants for Israel uh, and to be an example to the nations. And that's what David wants as much as possible. He would much rather have peace with his enemies than to be in contention with them. 
even after that long civil war with, well, it wasn't that long, but the civil war that he had with Saul's house under Ab when Abner was leading the armies. So here we have a man who has, by his, uh, by what God has done in his life, here showing the wisdom that comes from the Lord to say, look, um, I, I have no desire, I mean, in his heart, he has no desire to go to war with Benjamin. Uh, that's not the problem here. The problem here is Absalom. The problem here is not Benjamin. And, and so he will say, maybe the Lord has done this. I am a man of blood. He's, he's admitting that. I am a man of blood. I mean, he did have Uriah assassinated by, by army. And uh, so he is a man of blood. He, ex he, he understands. And if this is what God wants for me at this time, then I will receive it. So leave, leave Shammai alone. Mm. Some deep thoughts for us to consider, you know, because he's really literally picking his battles. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. well, we right now are going to have to take just a few moments and head to a break. Here's some messages. But folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Pastor Murdaw will keep on going through 2 Samuel chapter 16. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend George Murdaugh. Uh, Murdaugh, Pastor Emeritus. He also helps out at First Lutheran Church there in Birmingham, Alabama. Folks, don't worry. If you miss an episode of Thy Strong Word, you can always catch up by subscribing to the program on your favorite podcasting app. You can also download the KFUO Radio mobile app, and you can listen live or on demand at KFUO.org. So many ways in order to not only hear Thy Strong Word, but all the other great programs that KFUO offers. If you want to share your thoughts or questions about this show, though, I'm happy to hear from you. You can email me at PastorBoo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Facebook. Just search for Phil Boo. Uh, hey, let's stay in touch, all right? All right, uh, Pastor, before the break, we were just at the point where, you know, we have uh, Shammai, he's chasing after him like a, well, actually like a, a live dog. But uh -huh. uh, Abishai, the son of Zariah, says to the king, you know, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go, you know, <laughs> relieve him of his head. Now, that's an insult, but the king, King David, sort of replies with an insult, at least with a phrase that has been used in a derogatory way. He says, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? Now, that, that's technically true. He is the son of Zariah. But that's used a couple times um, to talk about just the violence that these guys have, you know, that the, 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 the sons of Zariah. He could have just said, 
um, you know, hey, what it, what do, what do I have to do with you, nephew? Because he's his nephew, or just a uh, be shy. But he he calls them the sons of Zariah, and it reminds me a little bit of Jesus, who who you know indicates the wickedness of this age over and oppose the way God wants us to live. And mm-hmm. and so yeah, it's 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 kind of a it's mild, but it's a mild insult. He it reminds right. him his place too. That's exactly right, and. Uh... Yes, it does remind him of his place as sons. He doesn't say son of Zariah. It, the text in the ESV says sons, because Joab is the head of the army. Abishai is very, very likely the head of the palace guard, if you will, or the king's guard, and uh, which are which are the elites. These are the elite forces, and they always have been throughout history. The elite forces, just like the Praetorian Guard for the Emperor of Rome, they are the elites, and they're by the way. They never question the command of the king or the emperor. They would never, it would never even cross it. In fact, in the Roman context, and I'm sure, pretty sure it's, it would have been the same pretty much in the, in the Middle East, uh, to, to question the king's um, command would have cost you your head. Right. Uh, and you would certainly not be part of the Praetorian Guard anymore, that's for sure. So the point of the matter here is that. When he says it, it says, uh, Joab is head of the army um, and Abishai, what, what, what he is doing in saying this is he's saying, look, we're still strong. You know, David, you have fled in weakness uh, in a kind of like you're fleeing weakness. And, and by allowing this guy to continue to curse you and not handle that, they're going to confirm your weakness. We are strong. I mean, if you go back to the, the previous chapters here from 16, You'll see the number of people that followed him and armed men. It was 600 or something armed men. I mean, they were still strong, and there were still Israelites that would have been loyal to him. So Abishai is, is thinking like the world. And a lot of times, if we put our faith in what we think our particular talents or strengths and stuff are, we will jump to doing something, maybe, uh, that will actually end up being worse than if we would take good counsel. And, um, and I think what, what is happening here by the grace of God is David is giving good counsel, but he puts Abishai in his place, which is necessary. The king has to do that at this point. You have to put him in your place. It is not your place to decide what happens to Shammai. It's my place. And I'm telling you this, okay, because of the Lord's in charge. Yeah. Uh, and you're not in charge. Joab's not in charge. The army's not in charge. And I'm really not in charge right now. God is. And so we let it happen the way the Lord wants it to happen. Now, and I think I may have misread something earlier. Now, so do you see that Shammai is basically the only guy that's doing this? Or do you think there are more people with him? Do you think he's like a representative of a of I can't. A I, I would really, uh, I really doubt that he'd go out there on his own. Right. <laughs> So, uh, but I don't think there's anything directly in the text that sure, would sure. Uh, show us that there are other men with him. Um, but no, I, I, I don't think that Shammai, Shammai is very, uh, is probably by the, whenever it said the son of, uh, in, in a text, for the people who would be the original audience, that would indicate somebody who has a reputation, right, somebody right. who is known and comes from a family that's known. So... Uh, for him to go out there alone would be unlikely, sure. but the text doesn't tell us he was, was well, anyone was with him. And the reason why I want to make that clarification is because I, I, I get the sense, too, then, that it would be 
if if David is surrounded by this whole body of soldiers, not only what you're saying, which I think what your point you made is is paramount in this, basically mm-hmm. David saying, I'm the one who makes the decisions, not you, and putting him in his place. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there wouldn't have been a lot of honor in them going and just killing one guy or a handful of people, even if they were from a greater, greater mob. Uh, so I think that, I think that's also in play here. You know, it, what, what kind of, you know, yeah, you, you fled the, you fled your citadel, but you're going to just, you know, kill some guy who hurls a few stones at you. I, yes, I think, I think what, that's there too. Yeah. What was the curse? You're a man of blood. You deserve this. You ought to be killed. You know, you're terrible. David's and like, he's got he a turned- point. Yeah, and then he, then David turns around and kills the guy. Well, right. I mean, doesn't he just justify then what the man is saying? No, exactly. David is handling this incredibly. I mean, we're talking about a man, and and a lot of times in the Bible we like to, you know, over uh, um, sanctify the important figures in the Bible. Uh, and and one of the, one of the great things about the Bible is the Bible does not hide the sins of the saints. Okay, it just doesn't do it. And, and so what we have going on here is that David is a man, after, not only after God's own heart, uh, but um, he is a man who has a, if, if you will, kind of almost, in my opinion, uh, a um, um, relationship with God that one would envy. His relationship with God permeates his political life. It permeates Oh, he, uh, he tried to get it to permeate his family life, um, and it permeates certainly his personal life. And, um, and that's really maybe some of the goals we ought to have in our personal life with God is to have, a, to have this kind of close relationship so that we not only trust his word, but we also trust him when we don't find necessarily in the word exactly what we're looking for, but we still trust the God of the word. And uh, and I and I say that with caution because it should be there in the Word, but we may not, we may not know it or, or find it. But we still trust Him uh, as our Father. You know, uh, you know. John said in the first in the first chapter of his Gospel, he said to those who received Him, who believed on His name, He gave the right to be children of God. And so, and that's what we are. And so, our relationship with the Father ought to be a father-child relationship, where even in really difficult point, moments, we can still rely on his unbreakable uh, loving kindness. I think that's so important. Um, even when you don't find exact clarity in the scriptures regarding maybe your specific situation, um, yes. God doesn't give us all the answers we want, just the ones we need. And so we there just have go. to trust mm-hmm. in him that, right. that yeah, he has good. an answer, whether we like absolutely. it or not. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And it will re-reveal, like Paul says, in that day. <laughs> right. I love Paul says that so often, in that day. And so it's going to be revealed in that day, and we trust that. We, we're going to trust it. It'll be revealed in that day uh, yeah. of the Lord's appearing. Yeah. I think it also should conjure up in us a, a desire for that day. I think we've lost mm-hmm. that a little bit in Christendom. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're all living for the moment, which is nothing necessarily wrong with that either. Or we're trying to save the world, but but mm-hmm. are we really looking forward to the day of the Lord's return, mm-hmm. the day mm-hmm. that we'll have our questions answered? Of course, I've always said I think by the time the day comes, we actually won't care. <laughs> Once Christ is on the scene, yeah. we're not going to yeah. worry about, okay, yeah. Jesus, tell us what was yeah. going on in this XYZ situation. No, nah, yeah. nah. we'll yeah. just be happy to be with the Lord, yeah. but still. I like I like to tell people, people say, you know, I, I really think I want to be here when the Lord comes. 
Well, mm. they haven't really read the no. uh, Revelation and, and the three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. Uh, but uh, that I great really and terrible here. day, yeah. you know, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. They say, I want to see that day. I want to see that day because in Luke it says, when that day arrives, re- lift up your head and rejoice for your redemption is at hand. And so they think, wow, well, yeah, I want to be there that day. And I always tell people, I said, you know, it really doesn't matter which side of the Jordan you're on, whether you're on this side on the earth or you're on the other side in the holy in the, in the kingdom of God, you're going to see it. That makes sense. <laughs> you will see the day. We're either going to see it on this side or we'll see it on the other. But that day is a day that the entire universe uh, uh, shall see it. And, uh, and how does how does John put uh, yeah how does John put it in Revelation? Every eye shall see him, even those who pierced him. So yeah. Well, our section ended with verse fourteen, saying, "And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan, and there he refreshed himself." Continuing now with verse fifteen. Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel with him. And when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom Yahweh and this people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be, and with him I will remain. And again, whom shall I serve? Should it not be his son? I have served your father, so I will serve you. The end of verse 19. So we have David's buddy, Hushai, going up and praising the king, King King Absalom. Um, and then Absalom, which I think is kind of funny, kind of uh, in, in a roundabout way says, well, you're not much of a friend. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is this how you show your loyalty to your friend David? But I guess he's mm-hmm. checking his loyalty. What's going on here? Well, yeah, uh, Hushai, which is who is a very, very wise man and whom David trusts you know, implicitly, um, is uh, he actually is praising David. Um, and uh, we have this because uh, uh, he says, uh, and he said, uh, uh, I mean, he says, Absalom, long live the king, long live the king. He means David. Uh, he doesn't mean Absalom. Uh, but Absalom doesn't understand that. I was going to say, it's a and, double entendre. He's saying yes, David, right, right. but he's yeah. wanting Absalom to think he's talking about him. Right. We've seen Precisely. that a number of times, right? Yeah, 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 right. All right, and then Absalom rightly is suspicious. He says, what are you doing here? I mean, is this how you're going to do your stuff? And, and then he says this, I like this, for whom the Lord, the Lord and the people and all the men of Israel have chosen this I will be, and he and with him I will remain. Now, it's interesting that all the people of Israel really aren't on board with Absalom. No. Otherwise, you wouldn't have that tremendous company leaving Jerusalem with, with King David. Plus, we're talking about the hinterlands. It's not like everybody had Twitter in those days to talk about, you know, what just happened at the palace. Right. So it's not that all of Israel, the one that all of Israel had accepted. And, and it, it says so when, when they brought, when um, he was, a, when David was made king of Hebron and then brought his entire family, everything back to, to Jerusalem. It was, in fact, it was, in fact, uh, all of Israel that, that did that. So that's who God has chosen, David. He's the one that all the men of Israel have chosen. 
and I will be with him and I will remain with him. All of this, again, is, is Hushai. At no point does he lie to Absalom, okay? This deception is, is wide open for anybody that would, would, you know, listen to it, okay? And again, whom should I share but his son? Now, that would mean the legitimate son, the one that God has appointed. Uh, Hushai would, in fact, serve the son that God has anointed, and that is not Absalom. And um, as I have served the father, so I will serve you. That is to, is to say, I'm going to serve you, but in a way that serves your father. And I love this intentional ambiguity because mm-hmm. not only is he able to, you know, still remain loyal to David in his words. Not that not that we don't see situations where where deception and flat out lies are being used. This is just one of those great situations where the double entendre of it. And I like how you said it's a sort of a wide open lie. It's tempting <laughs> Absalom to hear what he wants to hear. Right. Because if you're in this procession, which is how I kind of imagine all the people, they're kind of walking through Jerusalem, and and suddenly David's friend comes up and starts saying, long live the king, long live the king, and Absalom immediately assumes that he's being disloyal to David, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, well, that's what you want to hear. (laughs) I mean, mean, otherwise, he could have heard it as, long live the king, long live the king, and like, okay— Here's this guy countering me, mm-hmm. calling upon mm-hmm. people to rally mm-hmm. behind King David. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Jesus told his disciples to be as cunning as serpents, but as gentle as doves. And um, in, in a sense, uh, that's what's going on here. Uh, he is, you know, he is being crafty, but he's, he's uh, also doing it in a manner that will cause Absalom to accept him. Uh, and that's important uh, at this point in the history of Israel and uh, in the history of God's work uh, in Israel. So Hushai is not being disloyal um, to the Lord or to his anointed David. Let's keep on going 20 through 23, which is the end of the chapter. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your counsel. What shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God, so was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed, both by David and by Absalom. All right, so that's sort of how it ends with um, a pretty saucy advice from Ahithophel, mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. a pretty egregious sin against God and against the king and against, well, frankly, the mm-hmm. concubines themselves. So mm-hmm. um, tell us what's going on here, because, you know, this is, a, this is a, I don't know, surprising, I suppose. Well, the, the way I read it is that if, if in fact you want to seal uh, your position in this palace uh, as actually having taken possession of the kingdom, then you must take possession of everything that is the king's, which would include his concubines. The wives apparently fled with him. So uh, all that were left were the concubines. And so he, at this point, was uh, uh, advising him 
that you are to take possession of the entire uh, household of King David. Now, this will do two things in, according to his advice. One, it will uh, cause you to, be, to make it very, very clear to David that you will give him no quarter. You're not going to, you know, you're going to treat him the way he treated you. He allowed you back to Jerusalem to put you under house arrest. That's Absalom, okay? So you're going to treat him the same way. There's no way he's going to want to come back, all right? So that's, that's one of the other advice. And the second would be you will clearly show yourself to have the power and have the position uh, and have the, um, how should you say, courage to take this kingdom and therefore delete it. And I, I think politically, socially, culturally, this is kind of what's going on here uh, in, in, in kind of some Middle Eastern thinking, if you think about that. And, and so uh, um, this is, I don't think Absalom would have done this on his own. Um, he may have simply uh, put the concubines aside or put them in a harem somewhere or whatever. But this advice uh, is, is demonic. I mean, it, it's, it's a diabolical advice for Absalom, and, uh, and Absalom takes it, and that's, that's unfortunate. And yet at the bottom it says here, everybody thought that, you know, the advice of Ephesus came from God. Yeah, and David even thought that, right? And so did Absalom growing up in, in, in David's house. So it's, it's really diabolical, though, uh, yeah. when, you, when you think about it. It's, it's symbolical but diabolical at the same time to make sure that he can solidify without any doubt in anybody's mind that he's going to be king. Well, and taking king's concubines was a pretty, I had to, I had to say, common or normal way in the ancient mm -hmm. Near East of showing that you're claiming the throne. Um, this shows you the value of those sorts mm -hmm. of things. But this is also fulfilling some prophecy, is it not, for David? Um, mm -hmm. we, we have in 2 Samuel 12, right? Nathan, yeah. Nathan tells him, he says, I'm going to read that, it's worth it, uh, chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. Nathan says to David, after the whole Bathsheba Uriah thing, Thus says Yahweh, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and, house I will, exactly. and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. Which... Um, it kind of explains, uh, now we understand what Nathan was talking about because this guy set up a tent on top of the house and is doing as everybody can watch. Um, right. I mean, figuratively mm -hmm. speaking, they're in the tent. Figuratively speaking. Yeah, so everybody knows what's going on in there. And, Absolutely. And, and so we call this demonic, or you called it demonic, and I don't disagree at all, um, but we also see um, God's judgment by allowing this to happen and even right. telling him in advance that it would. Yeah, I'm saying I'm saying the the when I said demonic, I meant it as contrasting to the final verse there, where everybody thought it was, he was just hit the advice he gave us straight from the Lord. Well, right. that wouldn't have been advice coming from the Lord at all. Right. And and uh, and I, I agree with Luther. You're either riding the horse of of our Savior Jesus Christ, you're riding the devil's horse. You know. So uh, I think that you know that's that's why I said that. But, yeah. No, uh, you're but right I agree. about it. But you're I do... right about it being common in the Middle East. Well, it's common, but I also see, yeah, absolutely, God's allowing this to happen as judgment. Yeah. God absolutely. uses the— He prophesied it. Yeah, he yeah. prophesied it, and so it happens, yeah. Yeah, he uses yeah. the evil intentions of men. He uses um, even—I mean, because people say, well, why does God allow, like, bad things to happen? Mm -hmm. And—but we've been told, too. 
right? Right. The, the right. wages of sin is is death. The reason yeah. why mm-hmm. sin, sickness, and everything else is mm-hmm. allowed to happen is because of the sin that's entered the world. But thankfully, mm-hmm. God has given us a rescue in the very one whom King David is pointing forward to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I definitely see that. I think it's important to note that David, he maybe not understood exactly how, but he this this is this was coming to him from the Uriah mm-hmm. Bathsheba situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, and it's important for us, I think, personally, to know that um, we're saved by grace. All right, and so and, and what does that mean? Uh, well, it means, as 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 Luther put it, we're simul justus at peccator. We're 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 saints, but we're sinners. And if it were not for grace, then we could not be justified before God. That's Paul's whole argument in Romans. We can't be justified before God because, because our hearts are desperately evil if, if they're left to themselves. But once we've experienced the grace of God, once we understand, if you will, uh, the need and the want and the desire to be in conformity with God's will, once we come to that point in our life, then we are sinners who constantly and have no problem Sunday after Sunday uh, going to the confession and absolution, knowing that this week, yeah, I need that. I have to have that. I need God's grace in my life uh, because there's no way that I can serve him the way he deserves to be served, the way he ought to be served in his most worthy majesty, but also that I must uh, uh, tool myself. I must, um, if you will, convert myself daily so that I might serve him uh, because I have no justification of my own. It only comes by being a clothed with Christ. I'm just reflecting on all that we've talked about today, including David, you know, basically saying that these curses and insults that he's receiving from those who are against him, um, well, in, in many ways he's guilty of them, and he mm-hmm. lets the Lord mm-hmm. repay. And here That's we right. see that um, his son has has done this heinous thing against him, this disloyal thing, and yet he he will probably he, obviously we're going to see what happens next when we come back together. But but he, I think he ultimately recognizes that some of these things happen because of his own sinfulness. And both of these things are a, a reminder to us today that as we are attacked by the world, that we don't have to we don't have to respond to every uh-huh. attack. We don't exactly. have to fight back in every instance. No. Um, the no. Lord will get vengeance. We're at the end of our time, but I want to allow you some time to say anything else you think that it might be interesting for people to know about this chapter or, or anything else you want to say. Yeah. Well, uh, the character of David will really come out uh, at, towards the end of these episodes uh, when he has opportunity then to take vengeance on everyone. In fact, he, he didn't even want to take vengeance on Absalom. And, uh, and you'll see that his heart is still to do what the Lord wants to do. And he is, he, we, we see him as still merciful and kind um, to even his enemies. So David's character never changes. Uh, David does not go with the winds of political expediency. He never does that. Uh, he always seeks the Lord and tries to reflect the relationship that he has as the Lord's anointed. And I think when we remember our baptism and our confirmation, this is the way we ought to live in the world. And I agree with you. We, you know, it, it, we can't just take every insult personally, or we can't just take every difficulty in life and saying, God doesn't love me, or why is he doing this to me? But, but to uh, embrace what that we are the Lord's, or rather we live or die, so Paul says, we are the Lord's, and we work as if working unto the Lord, and live our lives that way. 
Uh, and David's a great example of doing that when he had every opportunity and perhaps we might even say justification do otherwise, he still acted by loving kindness. What, what is known in the Old Testament as Hamad Esed. He, he, that's what he did towards people. Amen, brother. I'd like to thank my guest for this morning, the Reverend George Murdaugh. He's Pastor Emeritus, but still serving our Lord's Church in many ways down there in Alabama. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Phil. Folks, tomorrow when we come back together, Absalom faces a crucial decision, whom to trust for his strategy against David. Ahithophel, his cunning advisor, proposes a swift and deadly strike at the king, who shy David's spy counters with a more cautious and elaborate plan. Which plan does Absalom choose? Well, we will find out that and a lot more tomorrow as David and his loyal followers cross the Jordan and prepare for battle and Absalom and his army pursues them into the land of Gilead who will win this bloody civil war again tomorrow, 2 Samuel chapter 17. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong hand.